This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manhattan Brewing Company. Manhattan Brewing Company is located at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Quality, community, and education are Manhattan Brewing Company's three pillars, and we are super excited to have them back for their second year as the title sponsor of the Short Side Option Podcast. With nearly 20 years of collective experience in the craft beer industry, Jake, Adam, and Garrett are focused on brewing and serving high-quality craft beers in a family-friendly atmosphere in the heart of downtown Manhattan. Manhattan is their home, and they want to bring the best possible beer experience and education to the wonderful people of Manhattan, creating a place for everyone to come out and have a good time with friends and cultivate a craft beer culture that Manhattan can be proud of. Be sure to follow them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Manhattan Brewing, as well as their website at www.mhkbeer.com to stay up to date on all of the latest events going on at the brewery. Some great stuff going on there. Be sure to keep uh, keep posted with what uh, Jake, Adam, and Garrett have going on there. And now, D. Lou and I will look back at K-State's 10-9 win over the Iowa State Cyclones. And with K-State being on a bye week, we're going to take a look back at our preseason Big 12 predictions and give our thoughts on what the Big 12 has shown us here through the first six weeks of the season. This is the short side option. to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon, it's Deli, and it's Kansas State with a 10-9 win over Iowa State last Saturday in Ames. We're going to break down uh, that K-State victory, and with bye week, uh, we're going to kind of give some of our thoughts going into the upcoming bye week, so no preview to uh, look forward to yet, but we're also going to uh, look back as we enter about the halfway point of the season here. Uh, at our preseason Big 12 predictions and uh, look at what maybe we got right, what maybe we uh, got wrong, and uh, everything else in between there. So, Dila, let's get you in here. Uh, it's 10-9 Kansas State over Iowa State game, and, and a game that I don't think will be confused uh, for a thing of beauty necessarily. But uh, at the end of the day, it, it looks A-OK to K-State fans uh, as they move to 5-1 uh, and one and uh, sit at 3-0 and oh, uh, atop the Big 12 Conference. Absolutely. Get one in the win column. Um to quote Ron Prince, I will not begrudge a win. But, uh, and I definitely won't begrudge a win at night in Ames against uh, what I think is one of the best defenses in the Big 12. Uh, certainly gave K-State's offense some fits on Saturday, but uh, behind uh, a good enough performance by the offense and really a defensive masterpiece by Joe Klanderman and the mob, uh, gets K-State feeling right on a night win uh, it really could have gone wrong. Exactly right, and you know, in, in the in those games too, you know, we'll, we can look back to the two lane game where you had a couple signs where obviously with K State not being able to pick up third and fourth downs, that you had a couple signs as the fans sitting there in the stands or watching on TV that, gosh, today might not be our day. Yeah, and those same signs were were evident out there on the field in Ames where you know the Malik Knowles. Um, Going in for the going in for the touchdown, he gets uh, he gets stripped at the one yard line. Going in, uh, Chris Tennant missing uh, a makeable field goal. You know there were some opportunities there where K State could have really extended that that uh, that lead 
and made things a little bit more comfortable for the fans at home. Uh, but uh, credit to Iowa State for you know hanging around, which they did all day. Uh, but ultimately, the play of the game, uh, for or the, the story of the game, rather, I should say, was that K-State was just really able to shut down what Iowa State was able to do and, and some kind of uh, timely uh, miscues there by the Iowa State Cyclones that really uh, really sealed their fate. Absolutely, and don't get me wrong, credit to K-State's defense because holding a team, holding any Big 12 team out of the end zone for four quarters is tough to do. But uh, Xavier Hutchinson's drop there um, on fourth down for Iowa State was... Uh, pretty helpful too, and not exactly uh, anything K State did uh, caused that. But like I said, it's you know you hold the team to nine points by hook or by crook, and you're you're that should be enough to win. And by uh, the skin of our teeth, it was enough on Saturday. You know, I don't know if we really need to necessarily break down uh, the game in a whole lot of detail from drive to drive necessarily, like we kind of sure. like to do. But one thing I do want to touch on is a little bit of a theme, I think, that has been established here the last several weeks here for K-State is the reliance on the big play. And uh, K-State, they get on the board on their first drive with a deep pass to Phillip Brooks as uh, Adrian Martinez is able to uh, duck a free rusher and uh, hit Brooks uh, right kind of in the middle of the field, really. And he's able to take it down inside, in between the hashes. He's able to take it, or not in between the hashes, but on the, the outside of the hash, able to take it in and get K-State off to a 7-0 lead there. K-State didn't have a whole lot in the business of sustained drives uh, against Iowa State, and that's a credit to the Iowa State defense. The next few drives, four plays and, and a punt, nine plays uh, that, that took up 30 yards, uh, and they ended up punting there too for K-State. So a little bit more there, but then, uh, the, the the fumble there by Malik Knowles, that was a three-play drive. And then uh, K-State kind of stalls out before halftime and has to punt the ball away. Then in the second half, three plays and punt. 11 plays and a missed field goal. Then three plays and punt. 10 plays for the field goal. And then three plays and punt. And, that's, and then K-State's able to put something together there on that last drive and run out the clock. So, you know, a couple of those drives in, in three and outs or, or pretty quick uh punting situations for Kansas State, but you see the explosiveness in, in the uh, in K-State's offense. Deuce Vaughn bottled up, really. Uh, his low rushing game, as far as I can recall, 10 carries for 23 yards. I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but I'd have to say that's his uh, the least amount of yards he's rushed for uh, as a Kansas State Wildcat, but that kind of speaks to uh, a little bit of what K-State was able to do in the, in the run game with Adrian Martinez, where they weren't getting it from Deuce Vaughn. Adrian Martinez... 19 carries for 77 yards. Not a huge uh, total like you saw maybe against Oklahoma, but was effective and you know really was leaned on in, in some crucial spots there. Yeah, and I, really the offensive performance, I mean, you can... It wasn't as bad as it seems in hindsight because, you know, I think... Given the Malik fumble, um, which I want to talk a little bit more about in a second, but given that, which... Is as close to a touchdown as you can get. Given sure. Tennant missing a pretty makeable field goal, I feel like at K State, if this final score is 20 to 9, uh, all of a sudden the, the story of the game isn't K State's pathetic offense. It's K State went up to Ames, got a two score win over uh, 
a decent enough Iowa State team. And that's not really... The, the difference there isn't really anything the offense did or didn't do. It's just kind of in the margins. I mean, that's why K-State's post-game win expectancy was yeah. so high if you look at the um, analytics and, and that sort of thing. it's you, you look at this game on paper, and K-State really controlled it. K-State, even on the scoring drives, uh, even on the, the drives they didn't score, I mean, K-State was still moving the chains. Um, you said it. We had the touchdown the first drive. But even the second drive, it was just four plays. I mean, that did go for 21 yards, starting with a 21-yard pass play yeah. to Brooks. Ends up getting a sack, which stalled that drive. Uh, next drive was a nine-play drive that ended with a punt um, based on that really got K-State kind of behind the chains uh, for a loss of Deuce losing three yards and then Martinez getting sacked. Uh, but that drive ends on Iowa State's 45-yard line. Then you have the Malik fumble. And then the last pl- last drive before the half, K-State gets all the way down, uh, you know, out of the shadow of their own goalpost at the six-yard line, gets out to the 36-yard line where they punt. And so it's not as if K-State's offense was completely bottled up all night. It's kind of just a product of K-State not being able to really sustain the drives. It's not as if we were facing three and outs, which it felt like the Tulane game was, for instance. And so K-State was able to move the chain some, uh, but... They were only able to cash in on the uh, explosive plays. Uh, that's that's real, really where the difference was. And so, all that to say, I don't think the offense really was all that bad on Saturday. Um, other than the offensive line really just having a hard time carrying its water against uh, one of the best defensive lines in the conference. And part of that's a credit to the Iowa State uh, defensive line. Guys like Will McDonald, who are a handful for anybody, uh, but especially... Uh, they were especially a handful for K-State on Saturday. But nonetheless, I this game felt different than Tulane to me offensively. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, K-State does get 16 first downs uh, on the game. And, you know, you have to remember this too. This game was billed going into as, as two of the top defenses, not only in the Big 12, but two of the top 25 defenses in the country, uh, where you expected a, a low-scoring game. And where, I, you know, if I look back at my comments here as we, we previewed that Iowa State game, I thought K-State's explosiveness, whether if it was with Adrian Martinez or with uh, Deuce Vaughn, Phillip Brooks, Malik Knowles, whatever the case might be there, that would be the difference. And, and it, it was in a lot of respects. Uh, one guy I want to mention, too, is DJ Giddens. Uh, with Deuce Vaughn getting... Uh, getting banged up and, and having to kind of leave the game inside the sideline there for, for most of the, the final couple drives. He provided something really good for K-State, a, a strong in-between-the-tackles run game, and uh, K-State was able to lean on him and Adrian Martinez there to, to close the sucker out. So some nice things to look at there, at least. Yeah, and I think K-State needs to figure out a way to get Giddens more involved um, because he might be part of the solution uh, for K-State's short yardage problem. Because Deuce, God love him, um, he just, at least this year, it seems like he really has a hard time getting the yard in those those short yardage. And, and part of that's because in those short yardage situations, uh, K-State's relying more on Adrian Martinez. And I think teams are keying in on, on understanding that, okay, it's third and two. K-State's going to be trying to run some kind of quarterback power or read or, or keep the ball in Adrian Martinez's hand. Um, but DJ Giddens might provide that more reliable 
two to three yards when you need it that, that Deuce just can't really provide just because he's diminutive. He is a little diminutive. Yeah, he really is. And before we go on, I want to talk about that Malik play. Because... Fire away. My God. I mean, you... I was so bummed out for him. Yeah. Because Malik's a guy, we, t- we talked about this throughout, uh, well, coming into the season, that we're waiting for him to take that next step. This is a guy who's, his whole career, you've just felt like he's about to flick the switch and turn it on. And he gets the big play on Saturday, gets all the way down there, and, uh, and then just has that happen. And, you know, when it happens, you're, I can't imagine the colorful language that K-State fans across the country were uh, screaming. Uh, there are certainly some in the Delhi household. Uh, but then you see it on replay, and you're like, what do you do? I mean, I... I it was uh, it was a great play. Like, what's he supposed to go by. down? Is he fight for the end zone? Um, yeah. And so it's maybe better ball security. But uh, it, looking back, it, it was like, it's hard to really blame him there. Um, but... Tough luck, nonetheless, and it's a shame. But that that just being there kind of shows that K State does have big play potential. That if you yeah. if you rush and miss on Adrian Martinez, which a lot of teams do, um, his eyes are downfield and he will sling it if uh, if you lose track in the back end. What would you have said the likelihood was that K State would have two one hundred yard receivers and only score ten points? I would be fascinated to see how many times that's happened in history. Um, I can't think of any time that that K State's had two hundred yards. Well, I'm not just talking about K State. Yeah, I'm talking I mean, about any team. the lowest team total uh, for an offense that has help for an offense that has two hundred yards passing, let alone to sure. to two different guys each getting hundred. But that was kind of the perfect storm on Saturday. Is that K State was able to chew yardage got. Close to 400 yards yeah. on about 58 plays. So you, you look at the numbers there, and it looks pretty efficient. But um, obviously, two of them coming on two big plays, uh, they were only able to cash in for points on one of them. But uh, yeah, I, I I think that's something you don't see very often, where an offense is having uh, that kind of success through the air, but only ending the night with 10 points. One thing I want to go back to is you mentioned Adrian Martinez doing a really good job of keeping his eyes down the field. Um, you know, on that play to Phillip Brooks, perfect example of that, uh, where uh, Reader, I believe it is, from... The, the blue hen. Yeah, the former blue hen. Yes, that's right. And he comes on kind of a little bit of maybe a delayed blitz, or I can't... I, I can't so, quite, it looks like, in this is just what it looked like to me, because he's... They're playing in a zone coverage, and Reader is there's nobody in his zone anymore, and mm-hmm. he kind of sits back in it, and everybody's going to the near side of the the field, and uh, he just figures, okay, well, I'm not guarding anybody here, and yeah. he makes a beeline, and so uh, whether you want to call that a delayed blitz or, or what, I was going to say he it almost looked like he kind of freelanced it a little bit there. That's what I looked like yeah. to me too, and whatever it was confused the hell out of our offensive line. Yeah, he came scot-free, and he got a great shot at him, uh, but Martinez was able to shrug out of it. And my point is, just being able to keep your eyes downfield, you know, typically you see most quarterbacks in that situation, uh, 
when when that comes through, they their eyes are are going down to either pick up what what I can on the ground or just get the ball out, uh, you know, out of bounds to to avoid any sort of a uh, of another or you know another guy coming through or just you, you panic, yeah. the clock goes off and it's time to get get the ball out out uh, uh, out of harm's way, so to speak. So. Uh, huge credit to Adrian Martinez to keep his eyes up and find Phillip Brooks. Once uh, Phillip Brooks was found, you know, some good downfield blocking there, uh, and he's able to get in for a touchdown. Big play there for K-State, and that really did set the tone. Uh, where I thought a huge factor, and I think this is, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, just a, a K-State thing, but getting off to a, big, to a good start there in that game seemed very important, especially on the road in, in what was a tough, uh, in what's been a tough, atmosphere and environment for K-State to have had success that previously. Yeah, and, you know, even aside from getting off to a hot start, because it's, you know, when the rest of the points on the night were a field goal, it's it's yeah. hard to credit that yeah. to say, uh, boy, this really jump-started K-State on Saturday. But, shoot, just points are hard to come by, and we knew it coming into that game and being able to get one just through Adrian Martinez's elusiveness and... and whether you want to call it a broken play or what, but just cashing in and getting some points uh, on a night where they were at a premium was huge. Uh, anything else you want to touch on the offense? Um, let me think. Receivers, the offensive line, man. It, yeah, it's, I was. I didn't know if you wanted to go back yeah, there a little bit. It's really disappointing, and like I talked about earlier, I mean, I think K State's faced two of the better defensive lines in the conference with Texas Tech and Iowa State so far. Um, but coming into the season, it was we were really kind of banking on this offensive line being a strength. Now, part of that's Taylor Poitier going down. Yeah. Part of it's a line game kind of being out of the mix a little bit. Um, Hopefully we get him, be able to get him back in the mix a little bit moving forward. Yeah, but the five that are out there, um, in really both the pass block and the run blocking, uh, is – it's a little concerning um, from what we've seen so far because we, we talked about it. K-State has to be able to run the football consistently, and they weren't able to do that against Iowa State, and thank God that the defense was able to keep the Iowa State offense bottled up for most of the night. But against some of the more complete teams in this conference, I think that K-State just cannot survive without a run game, and they really had to survive without a run game on Saturday. Um, and so it's something to keep an eye on because whatever is in the whatever's going on with the offensive line, I have a hard time believing that the offensive line just isn't good enough. Um, I think there's there's got to be something there. I, I still think that the offensive line can be a strength of this team or at least not a liability. But uh, through three games of the Big Twelve season so far, it's it's hard to call it anything other than a liability at this point. You know when we. I'm thinking back uh, while you're you know, kind of talking about that offensive line. When we did our preseason kind of preview, I know uh, Phil Steele, we referenced his uh, unit rankings here in the Big 12, and he had K-State, I think, as the eighth or ninth offensive line. And that was something that we didn't really necessarily jive with uh, in terms of what we thought K-State would have going in. I don't feel like really when I look at what – the offensive line is like I think of um, Christian Duffy out of one tackle, KT Leviston out of the other tackle. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like they've played poorly necessarily. 
then I that I don't think they've played great by any stretch, but I don't feel like they've been bad. And then I, I look at Cooper Beebe on the inside. He's obviously kind of the, the leader of the pack there. Uh, you know what you're going to get from him coming kind of all-conference type, type effort there. You look at uh, Hadley Panzer and Hayden Gillum. I guess Gillum maybe is kind of being singled out by, by some as maybe the weak link of that offensive line. I don't think he's played terrible necessarily. But uh, I, I would say, like, outside of, of BB, the rest of the offensive line play has been pretty average. And, and maybe that's just what's kind of dragging down is that, you know, you don't have – you have one kind of standout guy. But Christian Duffy, I, I know Kleiman – uh, has singled him and KT Loveson out as saying that they've been really playing at a, at a high level. I don't know if I've quite necessarily seen that uh, necessarily so far here through six games, but I don't know if I can necessarily point to more than just uh, you know a handful of guys saying that, oh, well, you know these guys have really been not really carrying their weight because I don't know if that's really been the case. Yeah, and it's hard to really – I mean, who are we kidding? It, it's hard to judge. Mm-hmm individual offensive line play unless guys are just matadoring sure. out there. Sure. But it sure seems like defensive ends are getting around our tackles quite a bit. Um, it sure seems like they're getting through inside. And you look on Saturday, and K-State has its worst rushing performance in a long time. Uh, again, against Texas Tech, good defensive line again, but uh, got pretty high stuff rate for the, for the Red Raiders. And so, I don't know. It's it's just hard to gauge. It's hard for me to pick out individuals. I know before the season, you and I were a little suspicious about moving BB inside. Um, and so, I don't know if, if that's contributing to it. But at this point in the season, I mean, it seems like our offensive line has taken a step back compared to last year. Where I thought the offensive line was... I was really projecting a pretty big step forward. Yeah. Um, and it's... Moving forward, the offensive line has to be a strength of this team. It, it just does for this offense to work. And not only does it have to be a strength for K-State moving forward to, to, to reach this team's goals uh, of being a, a, a team that plays in Arlington on that first week of December in the Big 12 championship game, but, I mean, you look at the upcoming schedule. You got TCU, yeah. who not a, not maybe the the defense that you, you you're used to uh, from what TCU has on, on that side of the ball, but Oklahoma State, Baylor, Texas coming up. Uh, K State enters the teeth of, of their conference schedule uh, right. here coming up. It, it is going to be imperative that the offensive line really uh, steps up their performances. Right, well. and against those teams, I mean, I don't think that those. I don't think. I'm not a real big believer in Baylor's defense. I'm not a real big believer in TCU's defense. I'm not uh, a real big believer in Oklahoma State's defense. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think those are going to be huge tests for the offensive line. But the difference is that what's on the other side of the ball, because I think all those offenses sure. are as good or better than any offense K State has played so far this year, and so um, K State can't survive with ten points against any of those teams. I mean, and so uh, the offensive the offense and the offensive line needs to pick up and hold their uh, carry their weight on this team more because the defense you're just not going to see very many single digit scores the rest of the season if any. Sure, sure. Well, let's uh, let's get to a side of the ball that definitely did carry their weight on Saturday. And that's the defense. Uh, K-State, I thought, played a, a, a kind of a tough game, really, with, with when your offense is 
not really giving you a whole lot of help. Defense was put in some kind of some tough situations at times. You know, I thought kind of entering this game that the game plan for Iowa State was really going to be, you know, let's spread K-State out, let's, uh, let's do what we do in the passing game. Not necessarily a whole lot of shots deep necessarily, which Hunter Deckers is capable of throwing that deep ball. He didn't really have that comes to mind other than maybe, I think, maybe one pass that was maybe outside of like 20 yards where he really shot it down the field. K-State did a good job of keeping most of that in front of him. But, you know, Deckers throws the ball uh, 38 times, completed 22 of them, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but under 200 yards. So 200 yards on roughly 40 attempts uh, at 198 yards. K-State was able to really kind of keep that passing game in check and Obviously, some of that is is helped uh, by uh, Xavier Hutchinson not coming up on, with a couple balls there. But really, when I look at what this defense did, a couple guys really stick out. Josh Hayes right at the top of that list. Uh, he had 11 tackles, eight yeah. of those solo. He's a guy that is really, uh, when we talked, I, I, I keep mentioning maybe the, the our, our preseason uh, look here at the defense. Safety was a big question mark, I guess, uh, when I say big question mark, as big of a question mark as any on, on what was going to be a pretty solid defense is what we thought coming into the season. Josh Hayes, uh, Kobe Savage, and Sierra Mason, they've really seemed to kind of elevate their level of play and really taken a hold of, of those those three safety positions. Uh, but Kobe Savage, Josh Hayes, uh, thought both played really good games uh, on on uh, on Saturday with with uh, with Hayes really being the, the the leader of that group. Yeah, and Hayes is really just starting to become a star for this K State defense, and for a guy who uh, transferred in, kind of one of these one year mercenary types. Uh, I mean, it's easy to compare it to Reggie Stubblefield, just as a guy who shows up kind of out of nowhere um, and all of a sudden is a fan favorite and just putting up. Just getting a lot of tackles, and and a lot of tackles uh, at or near the line of scrimmage too, and so he's shown that ability to to come up and, and just play really solid football for K State. Um, but yeah, the rest of the defense. I mean, for a night when uh, Khalid Duke goes out, and yeah, Felix, some injuries is, that just took place. On, yeah, on that and all too. of a sudden, for a big chunk of the game, K State is without two of their main pass rushers. Um, I thought the rest of the defense really did a really nice job uh, keeping that Iowa State offense bottled up because, you know, the narrative after the game is, oh, this Iowa State offense is terrible. I mean, you go and look at Iowa State message boards after the game, and it's all fire manning, and they hate their offensive coordinator. Well, fan bases always hate their offensive coordinator when they're not scoring points, and what they don't remember is their star running back is banged up, they're starting a young quarterback who's not very polished. Um, so Manning doesn't have an easy job there. Uh, but the Southern State team, I mean, they have scored points this year. They scored 24 against Baylor. Uh, in that game, the Iowa State team put up 350 yards. And so they, they're they capable. I mean, they had some drives against KU that they should have ended in points and didn't. Yeah, and how about that? You know, the uh, the only guy that scored uh, for Iowa State is uh, is their kicker, uh, Jace Gilbert, three of three, and you know Iowa State trying to get into position there uh, late in that game to give him another opportunity or to punch it in for the first time, 
And K-State was able to, to, to keep them out of field goal range. And uh, there was a, a drive right after K-State's uh, go-ahead field goal where they get a personal foul after the field goal where K-State has to kick off from the 15-yard line now. Right. And kind of a mind-numbing sequence where we, we kick it short uh, on the ground where Iowa State's able to get the ball at midfield. Right. And the, so the same thing happened in the Texas Tech game last year. Remember? Yes, same thing. And uh, Well, even maybe a little bit further back. Right, I think it was five yards yeah. tacked on in Zentner kick of a lifetime. Uh, I think that West Texas win might have been held. Unbelievable sequence there. But at that time, I was I remember thinking, just take the lead for just kick the yeah, ball out of bounds. Out of past the forty. But yeah. apparently, if you do that, they tack the penalty yardage onto the. Oh, uh, okay. Because I was looking at, uh, I don't know. I there was some kind of rule change or rule that I learned this week that 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 plan isn't always the best deal, but. Um, interesting set of circumstances there. But my point is in all this is that, yeah, the Iowa State offense is bad, but they're not that bad, or at least they haven't been this year, um, except when they run into really good defenses like Kansas State or Iowa. Um, and so I, it's a huge credit to K-State's defense on a night when no turnovers, just couldn't do it, just kept them in check. Um that's really hard to do, especially with the way the defense was pressured there in the towards the end of the game. Because, I mean, you're asking a lot out of your defense when your game on the line. You're telling them, okay, don't let them within, don't let them near the thirty yard line, uh, because shoot, if Iowa State's kicker's got a forty five yard field goal for the win, I'm you just you just knew that this kid is gonna make it. Yeah, he and he was nails. You have to give him credit there. Um, one thing, and, and I want to go back to this. You mentioned I thought Casey was a lot more aggressive defensively, bringing extra guys in, in blitzes in those situations. So I'd like to kind of see that a little bit too, with knowing kind of what the situation was to uh, to to dial up a little bit of extra pressure because uh, Casey was able to kind of keep Hunter Decker's. Not really very comfortable throughout the night, and that was a, a big thing, too. I also thought tackling. thought our, our tackling was really pretty good uh, throughout. I can't remember how many times there was that a lot of what Iowa State was doing was in that kind of that less than five-yard uh, crossing pattern game. They, they were typically dialing up offensively, and that puts a lot of pressure on your defensive backs and linebackers. You know, Desmond Purnell. He, he steps in, and I thought he had a really nice game. Yep. Kind of coming in there for Khalid Duke. And, you know, really when you look at what he was able to do, Brendan Mott, another guy that uh, was probably asked to maybe play a few more snaps than maybe, you know, he had uh, been tagged for here before the game with uh, both Duke and uh, Felix Duque Uzama having left for, for periods of that game. Duke, uh, of course, got injured there earlier on in the first quarter and then di- didn't uh, return to action. But with that being the case, uh, really liked what I saw from the defense throughout the game. Uh, I mean, when you hold the team out of the end zone, you, you get A-plus in my book. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought solid job across the board. Let's hope that uh, Felix and Duke, um, everybody 
takes the time in the off week to heal up. I know you yeah. and I are taking some time, being in the bath, yep. maybe taking a, a yep. little break from film, but uh, making sure everybody's body gets right. You know, the, we mentioned this last week, the bye week's coming at a really good time, and I, I think going into the bye week with a win, obviously, is a huge uh, bump to morale, but comes at a really good time, right in the middle of the season, pretty much, where you're able to take inventory of everything, and also comes at a good time. Like I think TCU had their bye week like the second or third week of the season. It's about the worst time to have one. Yeah. Unless you have a bunch of injuries that take place, you know, in, right. in game one or two that you need to get healed up for. As we see West Virginia getting a, a, a turnover there, and they they run it in here to tie up the game with uh, with Baylor. We're we're breaking down film here even as we go here. Oh yeah, this one uh, with, with a couple uh, opponents here up on the schedule for Kansas State. But bye week comes at a great time, and uh, K State goes in this bye week uh, atop of Big 12 uh, standings, which is a, a great place to be at. Yeah, because I mean these next six weeks are a gauntlet. If you try to rank the games. Least toughest to toughest. I mean, it, it's hard to do um, when you consider that the uh, probably the second easiest game, the easiest or second easiest game left on the schedule is is a trip to Morgantown. Um, that's which is never fun. So K State preparing for this gauntlet. They have the bye week. Get everybody healthy and uh, hopefully come out on the other side ready to play. I feel I'd be remiss if I didn't highlight one guy in particular on this defense here as we look at it through the, the first half of the season for Kansas State, and that's uh, Austin Moore. He, he goes out, he has six tackles, four solo, two pass uh, deflections as well. You know, he's really playing at an all-conference level right now, I think, for Kansas State. Um, and, and it has been a probably K-State's best linebacker here through six games, which I don't think anyone would have predict, predict, or projected, predicted uh, here as we, we go through the first half of the season, but he's played at a really high level. Uh, I look forward to seeing him continue on. And, and also, too, with, with what um, you saw from Daniel Green, you know, only two tackles, but I thought played a nice game. He was in the mix throughout the, throughout the game. So I look for K-State's linebackers to continue to take steps, but uh, Austin Moore really a guy that's impressed me. Yeah, absolutely. And for a at a spot where K-State coming into the season was really counting on Will Honus to, to be the answer at that second linebacker spot for K-State. And so for Austin Moore to to come in, um, I mean, everybody knows the story, the, the walk-on, the, the guy who got some spot time last year. But if you tell me coming into the season that Austin Moore is, K-State's going to be relying on Austin Moore to play 45 to 60 snaps a game on defense, I'm thinking, uh-oh. But, yeah, he's been Mr. Reliable back there and uh, sure tackler and has been getting it done for K-State. Absolutely. So, anything else you want to mention here on the Iowa State game before we before we get into uh, the next part of the podcast? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, like I said, it's, you know, it's a game that you look back on. Well, it was a game at the time. It was such a strange game because you look at the – circumstances and it's like K-State should be up a lot but K-State was so close to losing that game oh sure absolutely and it's a Xavier Hutchison catch or um just a, another first down or two on, on a series for Iowa State and they're they're in a, a situation where they can really kind of tighten the grip on K-State and a loss there would have been such a frustrating one. Oh, sure because K-State for the most part just outplays Iowa State for 
most damn near all the game. Um, and it would have just been devastating. But it is so important to remember and remember these because it is so much better to win ugly games and lose ugly games. Absolutely. I mean, it, that game could have gone the way of Tulane. And it, we would have, the story this week would have been, oh, it was another Tulane game. But here we are, K-State's defense buckles up and the offense does just enough, um, notwithstanding the brutal errors, uh, to come out with a win. And the narrative's completely different. And K-State still has their sights set on Arlington. And we're sitting here at 5-1 and one feeling uh, okay about ourselves. You know, gotta give a gotta give a uh, an attaboy there to Chris Tennant uh, coming back and making a thirty yard field goal there after missing one from kind of similar uh, similar distance there. So K State's able to make the plays. They win ten to nine, and we have a heartfelt congratulatory shout out to give. Yeah, to Nashville Nick at in Leland W. You know, a lot of the folks on Twitter this week in, in our in our prediction contest, which we had a great turnout too. So thank yeah. you for everyone for for uh, participating there. But most folks at K State in that twenty seven or twenty four to thirty one point range, uh, even, some even higher. Uh, National Nick, you saw a low scoring one here, fourteen to seven, and that's the winning prediction this one. So add a boy to Nashville Nick, hell of a job from him. Yeah. Yeah, he, somebody that we've always uh, had our eye on, and he uh, yeah, and we we had a lot of admiration for him. Well, yeah, we have. I don't know if I'd call it admiration, but oh, I would. I mean, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, maybe a little bit, um, maybe a little bit reticent to do that uh, for for someone out of the volunteer state. Yeah, I don't know if I I don't know if admiration was the word I would use, but. Um, he's certainly somebody we've been watching, and we're really proud of him for uh, stepping up and getting it right this week. You know, before we get into Wildcat Legend and, and Ask the Icon, let's uh, look back at ourselves here a little bit. Let's have some time for reflection. And, and let's take a look at, because this is something we do every year on the Short Side Option Podcast, and it's a, really a, a time-honored tradition that uh, I think really is tremendous. And that's our Big 12 predictions. And... So far here at the halfway point, I feel like we're in pretty good shape with, with what we feel like. Yeah, there's, we're doing pretty good. There's a couple teams that maybe we're a little high on, maybe a little low on, but um, but through you know six games here, I feel like we're in pretty good shape. So, Dilo, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to go first, your partner. Uh, what sticks out to you either from your predictions here through six weeks or just from what you've seen in the Big Twelve? Uh, that's maybe caught your eye on maybe something that, hey, you know, I'm, I, I nailed this one. I got this one right, or, you know, Mr. Icon, I was a little bit off here. Well, I mean, let's just start with the... Uh, the two easy ones. The two easy ones. It's obviously Kansas. They've had a terrific season so far. They've exceeded any serious person's expectations uh, through, uh, what are they, five games now? Uh, uh, yeah. And uh, no, through uh, through six games. Through six games, they're five. Um, and just did a terrific job. And I said it before. I'm from Missouri. Show me state. Everybody was high on. Well, people were optimistic about Kansas this year. I was saying, I gotta see it. I gotta see it to believe it. And they've shown it to me. And I 
was, to my credit, I was pretty quick to hop on board. Once the, the Houston game was when I was like, okay, they're, this is different. Because I could buy a blowout of Tennessee Tech. I could see the overtime win in Morgantown and still say, eh, I need to see more. But then going down to Houston, which is a team that has uh, kind of fallen off track a little bit. Yep. But nonetheless, at that time, I thought, okay, they've, they've shown me enough. They're going to be a decent team. And so credit to them. I got, I got them wrong. Um, otherwise, I, there, nothing really sticks out that much to me. I guess TCU is a team that I saw having kind of a middling, mediocre season. I had them going five and seven. Clearly, they are uh, going to exceed that. And so credit to Sonny Dykes for um, getting it done there in, in Fort Worth in a hurry. Uh, but also credit to uh, Max Duggan because that's a guy that, you know, I've never really been a big believer in, but he's he's certainly got it done so far. They have a big game this weekend against the Oklahoma State Cowboys, which we'll all be watching closely. But uh, otherwise, it seems like a conference that is just cannibalistic. I mean, it, I was going to say the same thing, too, is – and we, I think we've made this comment here as we've gone through the first six games, is the Big 12 is as deep and as uh, parity-filled as we've seen it in a number of years. And, you know, typically you could kind of pencil in in, in some of the, uh, the last several years. You can pencil in KU as a win. Uh you know, in, in years past, you could probably pencil in maybe Texas Tech as a win uh, because, you know, they would would be a little bit tough at home, but on the road, they, they never really seemed like they had much. Uh, this, this league really going up and down. I mean, Iowa State and West Virginia, right now probably the two at the, at the, the bottom here of the conference. Oklahoma, as hard as it is to believe, you'd say they're probably kind of in that same tier right now. Uh, but with with what West Virginia is able to do offensively, they make it they make it tough on, on teams. With what KU's been able to do, they've been one of the more impressive teams, uh, a team that's been kind of towards the top of the conference here. Iowa State, they've had those struggles offensively, and that's going to be something that's going to really be tough for them to have, uh, I think, a whole lot of success this season as they're going to be fighting for bowl eligibility. But that defense is going to keep them in most games, and uh, there, there's no easy there's no easy out here in this in in the the Big Twelve Conference here in 2022. This league, um, this league, man. Yeah, it, I I think probably the two biggest well Oklahoma obviously um, that's a huge surprise. I don't think either of us were super high on him. I had him going... No, no. You had him going 8-4. and four. I had him going 9-3, and three, but, I mean, gosh, 8-4, and four, I think if you ask any Oklahoma fan right now, they would sign up for that in a hurry. Oh, most definitely. And part of that, I don't think they're quite as bad as they look. I, I you, think, lose, you lose your starting quarterback, and that, that makes things a little bit tougher. Well, yeah, and K-State fans ought to know about that. And so I think once Gabriel gets back, well, Texas fans ought to know about that, too. Um, but once Gabriel gets back, and whether it's this week versus Kansas or, or down the road, what, but when he gets back to 100%, I think this Oklahoma team, people say they're starting to gel. But I think really it's 
the team has a little bit more capable of an offense and uh, they can start putting some points on the board. Defensively, though, for Oklahoma, that's been the big shock. I mean, for them to give up 50-some against uh, Texas Christian, 49 last week against Texas, 41 against K-State, uh, that was something that we all anticipated would be a, a strength of this Oklahoma team yeah. going into the season with Brent Venables getting in there and cleaning some things up on the on the defensive side of the ball. That hasn't been the case. And really, when you look at it, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but Oklahoma looks slow. They they do not look like a like an Oklahoma team should look on full defense. of like they, four and five stars. Yeah, you you think that they're going to be able to be able to probably have a pretty quick transition into being a better defense, and that has been far from the case. So, be interesting to see. You know, it is the halfway point of the season. Would it surprise you a whole lot if Oklahoma is able to roll off four or five straight victories? Now, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. Uh, well, I, I should say it wouldn't surprise me, but with the way they're currently playing right now, uh, you know, I think it would shock most Oklahoma fans that uh, it, they uh, that they get on this that kind of streak. So, be interested to see there. Yeah, I'll. I just have to think that's at least a bowl team this year. But my gosh, you just. I gotta say, I'm, I'm happy. It makes me happy to see them struggling so much, just because number one, they're leaving the conference. So see you later. Uh, but Brent Venables, I mean, after spurning sure. K State multiple times, uh, seeing him finally, you know, Get become a head coach, coach and yep. uh, you know what, it, that um, may have been a good thing if if he doesn't turn out right. Uh, you know, I. I want to talk about Texas real quick because that's been sure. kind of a fascinating team so far. I've actually nailed their entire season so far. I, I had them losing to Alabama well. and Texas well. Tech, and yep. I think you did too. Um, now I had them going seven and five this year, uh, just based on the eye test. I think they're probably better than that, um, but a lot of that is built on the Oklahoma game. Um, and so it's it's just hard for me to really say with certainty how good Texas is because they caught OU at about the most opportune time they could have. Um, and beyond that, they looked great in a loss to Alabama, which I uh, don't like giving teams credit for. And uh, they smoked a West Virginia team that, like we talked about, is – Probably no worse than average, but certainly not the class of the conference. And so um, I'm still a little dubious on everybody tripping over themselves to say, oh, you know, now Texas is good. Because through uh, five or six games, they, they haven't looked that great, um, even though yours has been out. So I'm sitting and waiting on Texas, but uh, just the eye test, they... They passed that for sure uh, with Quinn Ewers in there. Let's get to – let's kind of look forward here in, in your predictions. At, at, well, let's first look back and then look forward. Back in, in August, you had K-State over Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game. You, feel, you still feel pretty good about that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to really gauge K-State. I feel like I'm a little more pessimistic about K-State than I should be once we get into the season, and that's just something probably about me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that 
is is good an opera that that's as good a chance as that as any. Um, I'm a, this week will tell me a lot about Oklahoma yeah. State, seeing how they handle TCU. Sure. Um, just uh, because some of the analytics don't really like Oklahoma State, um, at least compared to TCU. But something tells me that Oklahoma State's going to get that defense figured out, and uh, they're going to get back on the right side there. Um, but this this week will tell me a lot more about Oklahoma State with respect to K State. Shoot, I don't. I have no idea. I mean, it it wouldn't shock me. No, no scenario would really shock me the rest of the season for K State. I mean, I think there's a universe that exists where K State loses out. I mean, I think none of these games K State has left are gimmies. I think uh, it's unlikely that they lose out. Um, but by the same token, it wouldn't shock me if K State won all these games. I mean, I don't see a game on the schedule where it's like K State can't win that. And that's just part of the strength of the Big 12 where, I mean, truly, it, it really feels like an NFL-type um, parody where it's sure. no game is a given. And you even in a game like Iowa State versus Texas this weekend, which is um, probably going to be one of the bigger spreads there is in the conference, um, you know, it <laughs> I, I wouldn't be shocked to see Iowa State come out and, and shock Texas. Because Texas lost to Texas Tech a few weeks ago. And so there's just, it's really hard to predict. It, it feels harder to predict now than it did before the season. Um, just because there's so many teams where you think, oh, they're at least pretty good. Um, and some, and really no team that just looks like a total unbeatable juggernaut, like some of those OU teams that we saw in the past. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so uh, as for Arlington, yeah, why not? K State, Oklahoma State. Uh, but it's going to be a hard road for, for both those teams and, and really any other team to get there. I think, you know, we talked about it wouldn't shock us if there's a conference team with two, maybe even three losses in, yeah. in Arlington, and I think that's still definitely on the table. I think that's a very good point there, D'Lo. Now, I put you kind of on the hot seat here. Kind of have to end up I kind of, what do you think? Well, I'll, I'll get mine pulled up here. I feel really good about where I have Texas at. We 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 mentioned them with the, kind of there at the end of your uh, run down here. I had K State and Texas in the Big Twelve title game. I feel comfortable with that still. Um, and I look here back through. I had K State going twelve and zero. I'm a little sad that they aren't going to go twelve. And they blew the one to two line. That's all right. Better I guess better that one than a conference. Did any other one? So. We looked there. I, I got Iowa State pegged at, at six and six. I think they're going to have to struggle to get there. Uh, but with that defense, it's going to give them a chance. I think every I I don't think they're out of full contention at all. No. I, I think Iowa State's going to be a tough out for a lot of teams, and especially teams that don't have good defenses. Because if Iowa State can get to twenty points in a game, then I think it's going to be hard for teams to beat them. You know, I had TCU at five and seven. We were both in the same boat there. They've surpassed expectations. I look for them to obviously blow past that. I, I mean, I think right now nine and three would be probably a pretty likely spot for them to be at. I imagine today they're the odds-on favorite to get to Arlington. Them or them? Oh gosh, so much depends on that Oklahoma State TCU game. I think the winner there feels really good, but I mean, Oklahoma State has a really tough stretch coming up. I mean, they've got uh, let's see here, they've got TCU. Texas, Kansas State. 
next three games. All all teams that are in the top twenty yep. right now. So that's a that's a tough stretch. Uh, well, I guess Texas is a technically in the top. I think they might be right at there. I think twenty or twenty second actually. So outside there, but by the time that they uh, if chalk prevails, they should be in that spot uh, quite possibly. West Virginia, I feel like I've got them pegged pretty well. Four and eight. Uh, I, I don't think it's uh, going to be Neil Brown much longer in Morgantown. T or uh, Texas Tech. I had them at five and seven. I think that's about right. Uh, so I feel pretty good about that so far. Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma and KU, two teams. I think we we both missed on. I think we were kind of right about both. I thought Kate and I. You can go back, even though I had him going. Two and ten, zero oh and nine in the conference. So you, I, I can't claim that I was no, close you can't, anymore. and I won't let you. But I thought they'd be better, and they are certainly better. That but I did true. think Oklahoma would struggle this year. I, I think most of their win, their win total expectations was like, I think at nine and a half wins. So I would have definitely taken the under there. They're, they've already clinched that under there, so to speak. So feel good about that, um, Baylor. You know, Baylor's a team that I don't know if I have a great read on. They they took care of Iowa State pretty handily up in Ames. They're they're ahead by a touchdown here against West Virginia as we record here on a Thursday. Baylor's a team that I feel like is going to be in, in a stretch where they have some games that are certainly winnable for them. KU at Texas Tech, at Oklahoma, and then hosting Kansas State. Uh, it would not surprise me if they are on a nice little, uh, nice little three-game win streak as they head in uh, to that matchup with K-State. So, lot on the table here. But uh, through the first couple, uh, through the first six weeks of the season, I should say, I, I feel like we've got a pretty good. Uh, our, our, our predictions are holding up okay. Yeah, I think so. Aside from uh, KU being as good as they are and Oklahoma being as bad as they are. Well, uh, big-time matchup there in Norman this week. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, Oklahoma a more than a touchdown favorite. Um, kind of surprising there. If but you're uh, if you're an Oklahoma better, you're a braver man than me. You wonder if in that game, if KU was say you threw a different helmet on him, you threw West Virginia's helmet on them, and then you threw Oklahoma's helmet or you threw Iowa State's helmet on Oklahoma. Would that spread be nine points? I seem to think not, probably. Yeah, I don't think so either. But obviously so much of line making is uh, the computers. And yep. Sure. A lot of those are still taking in preseason stuff. But And you know what else? People have short memories. Because three games ago when Oklahoma just blew the doors off Nebraska, it this narrative didn't exist. And it sure. didn't really exist until... Uh, TCU uh, really, really outflanked yeah. Oklahoma. They, and they definitely outflanked. Outflanked, outmaneuvered. Yeah. Um, and so it's easy to put a lot of stock in two weeks. And uh, it's even easier when, for the better part of a game and a half, uh, Dylan Gabriel starting quarterback is out. And so... Like I said, Oklahoma probably isn't as bad as they look here, and it wouldn't shock me to see them get right. But a lot of that is just faith in the uh, Crimson Cream. I mean, yep. it's it's this is Oklahoma, and Oklahoma doesn't have seasons where they win five or six games. And so uh, a lot of faith in the Oklahoma 
hashtag brand. Um, Which is what really brands is really what's all about. That's exactly right. And so, I don't know, it'll, it'll be fascinating to see, and it'll be interesting to see whether Bean can kind of continue yeah. uh, his impressive performance against TCU in the second half, and whether uh, OU can look like any semblance of this OU program that we've come to know over the last 20 years. All righty. Well, let's uh, take a quick break, and then we'll be back to answer your questions in the Ask the Icon segment and highlight another in the long line of Wildcat legends. It's the Short Side Option. Stay with us. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option podcast. You're listening to DLU. You're listening to the Icon. And Icon, we're going to get into a segment, a segment we've always cherished, a segment we call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, This Week's Wildcat Legend uh, is a running back. He wore number three. Okay. That's a, that's interesting for a number of reasons. Go on. How many running backs can you think of that... Uh, Frank Murphy. Wasn't he number three? Yeah, he was number three. That's now, not the Wildcat legend. No, I know it's not. Well, I, I guess I didn't know it wasn't, but I, I figured it wasn't. But not a lot of running backs for Kansas State were single digits. Well... Let's I mean, there, there are some that have, but the majority of them, two digits. Josh Scobie. Josh Scobie. Robert Rose. Daniel Ooh. Thomas. Th- Daniel Thomas. Daniel Davis. Daniel Davis. Oh, yeah, Daniel Thomas Davis. Clayton. Thomas Clayton. Uh, did uh, James Johnson wear number three? Yeah. Or number eight. Number yeah. eight. So maybe more than I gave credit for, but predominantly, most of them, double digits. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I guess you're right. Continue. Sorry, I'm trying to think of anybody else. I can't. Off the top of my head. Um, in, in any event, this Wildcat legend did wear number three. Um, before coming to Kansas State, this legend lived in Alexandria, Louisiana, where he was born. Amarillo, Texas. Tucson, Arizona. Shreveport, Louisiana. He lived in cities in both North and South Dakota. Miami, Florida, Overland Park, Kansas, Hutchinson, Kansas, where he went to junior college. Oh, okay. And finally, Manhattan. Well-traveled. Very well-traveled. I'll give you another hint. His parents' names? Larry and Barbara. Okay. Any guesses? Maybe a few more hints. Well, he attended Blue Valley Northwest... Where he was an all-conference running back. A Husky. And then he went to Hutchinson Community College. Spent two years there. And joined the Wildcats in the fall of the year 2000. The new millennium. As a walk-on. Okay. Anything? I've got... My my radar is beeping. Uh-oh. <laughs> I sent some bogeys possibly out there. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, can I get one more hint? Well, I'll tell you, I'll give you a little hint about his production. His career high rushing came in 2001 against New Mexico State. Okay. I think I got it. Who's that? I think you're talking about Larry Lewis. I'm absolutely talking about Larry Lewis. Uh, yeah. What, and what can you say about the guy? He, uh, 
He had his career high against uh, New Mexico State. One attempt for five yards back there on September 22nd, 2001. Um, also got a carry against Louisiana Monroe the following year. So how about that? How about that? Against, uh, you know, with where you mentioned he had some some stops along his uh, along his uh, lifetime uh, in terms of places he lived at. Uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Alexandria, uh, Louisiana. Yeah. UL Monroe, right up there in that northern Louisiana area. And he also spent some time in Tucson, which is not that far from New Mexico. What's New Mexico have to do with it? Well, I think you got to carry. Oh yes, well, yes. Well, I was just I was just going on about. I didn't. I was looking. Oh, but no, State, yeah, but it was a nice little homecoming there yes, for him absolutely. in uh, two thousand one. But uh, I come the reason uh, Larry Lewis is our Wildcat legend this week isn't so much what he did on the gridiron as it is what he did off the gridiron. Oh, do tell. Uh, he's done quite a bit helping the uh, youths around uh, the Kansas City area. He now serves as the executive director of Growing Futures Early Education Center in Overland Park, um, in Overland Park, Kansas, where he that. attended high school. And you know what? He credits his career path, his his arrival there, to the legend himself. I'd like to hear that. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the organization. Uh, it's a nonprofit early Head Start slash Head Start organization providing early education and support services to children ages 0 to 5 for the most vulnerable families within the community. All the families served by the organization live at or below the federal poverty threshold. Uh, They provide services like nutrition, on-site play therapy, parent education, mental, medical, and dental health services, along with a dedicated, full-time, professionally trained family support team. Um, So, just a real credit to him. He... There was an article written about him recently by the K-State Alumni Association where he talks about uh, how Coach Snyder really uh, prepared him. You know, he, he got to K-State thinking like all these guys do, that they're going to go to the NFL. Uh, and he looks back and he says, Coach Snyder um, may not have necessarily got me to the NFL, but he turned me into a great citizen. So uh, it's what we like to see out of him. Great job by Larry there helping out. Um just being a great member of the community and uh, adding on some nice little yardage there against the, uh, the team from Louisiana Monroe. Well, you look back, and, and I'm glad we can highlight a guy like uh, Larry Lewis uh, as, as what he's been doing off the field and, and in the community. You know, it's, uh, it's a great credit uh, to uh, the Kansas State program and uh, to Larry uh, for, for really answering the call and finding something that he's passionate about uh, for 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 what he's able to do in his career and, and to give back to, to so many. So I, I I'm glad that you, we uh, we chose to highlight Larry Lewis here. This is a this is a great uh, a great highlight here for for this week's Wildcat Legend. Absolutely, and it's for the those five hard fought yards against Louisiana Monroe and, and the work he's doing off the field and in the community. It makes Larry Lewis this week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, we're going to get into our final segment on the show, a segment we call Ask the Icon. And let me tell you a little bit about this. This segment is where listeners to the Short Side Option can ask questions to you, the Short Side Option's very own Chris the Icon Sork. And your job right now for the next few minutes, you sit your fanny right in that chair and you answer. I'll do it. I want you to listen to the words coming out of my mouth. I want you to uh, answer the questions because they come from the listeners. The fanny is securely in the Oh, it's in there. It's in there, all right. And listeners can ask 
these aforementioned questions to the icon by submitting them to us on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast or by using the hashtag Ask the Icon or by texting them to us or showing up to the bowling alley we go to every Monday night yep. getting in our face saying, Hey, Icon, listen up. And then proceed with your question. Our first question this week comes from listener KSU underscore funny 33. Always love it. He submits questions, and he submitted another Whopper this week. He asks, hey, Icon, I just saw a tweet that picked K-State to finish 10th in basketball this year. What are your thoughts on that? Where My you, thoughts. Where do you think we finish? Great question. We, you know, so much of what we've been focusing on here is on the gridiron. KSU underscore funny. He's looking to the hardwood. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's basketball season's right around the corner uh, as we, we get into uh, – Get into mid November here, or mid mid October here, where they where they'll be tipping it off here in, in less than a month. Um, K State being picked tenth, not a surprise. I don't I don't think uh, really with a, a whole new roster, new coaching staff. What I'll say is this: I promise you, K State doesn't finish tenth this year in the Big Twelve. I think K State's going to be competing for a top half in the Big Twelve uh, conference. Finish, and I also think that they are going to be a bubble team for the NCAA tournament. Depending on how well everything gels uh, with some of the new faces uh, on the roster, I don't think it's uh, unreasonable that K-State uh, is going to be uh, a really tough team in the Big 12 and a team that's uh, NCAA tournament bound. It's an icon guarantee. Ninth or better. Mark it down, baby. Uh, well, thank you to KSU underscore funny for looking ahead there to the hardwood. Uh, but our listener, SteveZ60, via carrier pigeon, is getting us back to the gridiron. SteveZ asks, if K-State played Iowa State in Ames at 6.30 p.m. again this Saturday, what is your score prediction? This is a great question. It is. And I don't think I would change mine really much from what I had uh, last go round, which was like 21-17, 21-14, somewhere in that ballpark. I think K-State would be able to get a little bit more going offensively. I mean, really, I mean, y- you think you have 17 in the bag with, with what took place on the field. I would go probably with a similar prediction, 21-17, 21-14. Yeah, I, I agree. I um, I was thinking about that too. I think I said 20-17 to 17 last week. That yeah. feels about right. Yeah, but great question. We should do that more often. Compare questions, compare score predictions to what we would uh, guess would happen if those uh, two teams got got together again. Uh, CV actually has a trio of questions. This oh, week. he fires with three bagger. Yeah. Uh, his second of the three. If Coach Kleiman retired at the end of the year, would you take Venables as head coach for three million dollars? Paying him $3 million a year. I was going to say, is he paying us $3 million to coach? I mean, I, I don't know what the uh, that situation might look like right now. It's an interesting question. No one was higher on Brent Venables as a potential head coach than, than I was. Now, I did say he would struggle probably here in the first year uh, of his uh, of his time at Oklahoma. Now, you're asking, hey, if he gets to Kansas State, how do things look? To answer Steve's question, point blank, I'd say no. I would not take that. Uh, because right now uh, there's there's a, some, maybe some talking Norman that he might be one and done. Now I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. But uh, the I'm not saying it's not the case either. I mean, if this thing goes continues to go sideways here, I don't know that he gets to year two. The sooner faithful, restless. I'll say. 
Um, and finally, strike three, here it comes. If you're at a meal and everyone is using chopsticks, do you, this is a multiple choice question. Okay. Everyone's using chopsticks. Do you, one, go straight for silverware. Two, use chopsticks for a bit, then reluctantly go to silverware. Or three, go chopsticks the whole time. You know, this is an interesting question. Yeah. Because I do love, I like sushi. I love Chinese food, Japanese noodles. Well, you've been eating sushi throughout the entire podcast here. Yes, I, I have a big California roll right in front of me, right here. I love the imitation crab, too, that, that often accompanies various rolls of sushi. Um, to answer Steve's question, it's a little bit dependent on, on, on the type of meal I'm eating. If it's sushi, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with the uh, the chopsticks. No problem. I'll, I'll stick with the chopsticks the entire time. Now, if we're going to go into something like that's going to be more like some type of lo mein, which I love, give me the silverware. I'm not making any bones about it because that, yeah. that you want to eat it while it's hot. You, you don't want to necessarily mess around with that. I'm going silverware there. But for sushi, things like that, chopsticks all day. Yeah, I'm a... Uh... I uh, I can I'm pretty good at chopsticks, but when if it's a rice dish, for instance, it's hard for that, me to really. That doesn't make any sense. It's hard for me to really get those final grains uh, on the stick. Yeah, I just let's not get cute here. Yeah. Let's just get if if it's rice, just give me a spoon or fork. Uh, next question comes from listener Trim at Trim Go Ema. And this is kind of a follow-up question to one he had last yeah, he, week. He was getting back into the mix here, going back in the time machine a little bit. That's right. Um, he asks, well, I'll, I'll start out with his original question, which I think is probably uh, the bulk of his question. Um, he, he said, I'll be honest, I don't grind on films. Sometimes I don't even watch the games. But couldn't all Iowa State game preview and keys to victory be quote, show up and expect them to do something catastrophically, LOL, and we win. And he followed that up in uh, by saying, following up on this, will all future mold Aggie games uh, be reduced to a few minutes of mockery? I'm sorry, all future mold Aggie game previews be reduced to a, f- a few minutes of mockery? Well, uh, this particular one Maybe not quite the same catastrophic fashion that Iowa State is lost in, but you have your all-conference wide receiver drop what was probably... You know, he was by the sideline. He was trying to get his feet in. I, I, I understand all that, but a catch that he makes 99 times out of 100, you'd almost have to, have to say. I mean, uh, a catch that he makes more often than not. Say it easily that way. Goes off of his off of his shoulder pads, and that's the last time Iowa State sees the ball. Um, really, when you look at it, there wasn't a whole lot of other real catastrophic things, but that was a pretty big one for I Iowa mean, State, and it cost them the game. If anything, K State experienced more catastrophic yeah, plays. Exactly with the uh, kept with, him in the game with the uh, with Malik Knowles coughing it up there at the uh, at the one yard line. So. You know what? Trent might have called this one exactly right, though, because uh, Iowa State didn't make the plays down the stretch, and it, it, it did cost him the game. For future previews, I think he just might have to wait and listen here to future episodes of the Short Side Option Podcast to see if 
if, if that's just going to be a, a few minutes of mockery for our, from our friends from Ames, uh, at the expense of our friends from Ames, or uh, if we go into a deeper dive like we often do. You know, my uh, shortly after the game ended, my boss and I were texting, and he said, we usually lose those painful games in Ames. And I had to tell him, I said, actually, we, objectively speaking, we usually win those painful games in Ames. Um, because prior to... Uh, well, prior to 2000, what was that, 18, uh, K-State had that winning streak against Iowa State that featured some <laughs> real nail biters, and in some cases, some games that K-State won that they really didn't have any business winning. Um, but that's been well documented. But, yeah, I mean, as far as a K-State win goes, that's, that's one that Iowa State, it's hard to say they gave that away. Um, yeah, K-State was a better team, and you mentioned it too in like the post-game win, win expectancy in S&P Plus. K-State was at 99%, which for a 10-9 game, how does that really how does that really figure? But then when you look at the stats, K-State outgains Iowa State by, uh, you know, what was it, 80 to 100 yards, yeah. I think it was. Um, they, they damn near Snyderballed us. Uh, into a loss on and, and, you know, you mentioned, too, the, the kicking game and special teams. K-State kind of gave up, well, obviously gave three extra points by not making a, a field goal, a makeable field goal, and then on that, after they do make the field goal to go ahead, K-State does, um, you know, they set up Iowa State in great field position to where they only problem, probably need 20 25 yards to be able to kick a, a very makeable field goal. K-State's defense is able to, to, to rise up again and, and answer the bell there uh, for K-State's defense. Uh, kudos to them because they had uh, been dealt a couple of tough hands that game, and they were able to come through when it counted. And also credit to Chris Kleiman for deciding to kick that field goal too. Yeah. Because yeah. That's, that's one that would have been second-guessed a lot, um, especially – It's kind of the oh, – go ahead. Well, I mean, it was fourth and short – uh, K-State was in field goal range, but he had a kicker who already missed one. Um, Climbing opts to take the points instead of risking it on fourth down, which, I mean, looking back, it's like, do you trust K-State's offense to go and get one to three yards on fourth down? Maybe Tough. not. Yeah. Uh, and so decided to send Tennant out there and, and take a chance to get the lead, and, and Tennant held up his end of the bargain. And the defense really held up that end of the bargain too. But that ended up being the right call. Um, and uh, got K-State out with a victory. Uh, next question comes from listener Tyler J at T underscore Rich, 1863. Tyler J asks, score prediction for... O- Tyler J has a twofer. By the okay, way. twofer here. First one. Score prediction for OK State and TCU this weekend. Kind of the game of the week in the Big 12. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, two teams undefeated, both in in the top 15. I look at this game as as a real, I mean, as a toss-up. I think we, we mentioned SP+, plus, uh, Bill Conley's metric there for rating teams. He gives his score predictions for the TCU-Oklahoma um, State game. I can't remember the exact number. He has it like thirty-seven to thirty-seven. It's like yeah, it's like it's a, like point point one like one hundredth of a point. Yeah, so it's as it's as much of a toss-up game as you can really get for on paper. Um, TCU 
favored by four uh, at home against uh, Oklahoma State. If I had to give a prediction, I would take TCU something like 34-31, 37-33, 37-34, something like that. I think TCU is just a little bit more explosive uh, on the offensive side of the ball. And it being at home, you, you probably give a little bit more of an edge. I do think, and you mentioned, you know, some of the analytics may not uh, really look too favorably on Oklahoma State, uh, but they've won the games. And Mike Gundy as an underdog it, it is always, I, I know uh, uh, Chris Velika, the Bear from College Game Day, he, a couple of weeks ago tweeted out something about how uh, Mike Gundy's really good in those kind of situations as a short underdog. Uh, really have, having a lot of success there. So when I look at this game, I think it's a complete toss-up. Put a gun to my head, I'd probably take TCU uh, winning by less than a touchdown. Yeah, the uh, over-under on this game, 68 uh, at the moment on certain books. Um, not surprised that that's a fairly high number. I would uh, expect this game to be high-scoring, though. Uh, sure. You know, Oklahoma State just gets finished playing Texas Tech which at this point in the season is running the fastest pace, as far as pace goes, has the most plays. They're going to set all kind of, kinds of records this year if they continue yeah. with this. Um, earlier in the, I think before the K-State game, they'd run, they were averaging like 94 plays per game. It's only like two teams in history that have ever averaged uh, even 91 plays per game. Yeah, uh, they were they were over a hundred last week. That's right. Yeah. So that uh, that's a tall ask for for any defense just to be on the field that many plays, um, and it'll be something to watch moving forward to see how teams do defensively after playing. Uh, over Great point, Texas Tech. Great point. I think last week they ran over they ran over a hundred. I think it was like a hundred and one plays against Oklahoma State. It's a lot of trend on that tire that kind of gets uh, worn off uh, throughout the course of the season, and to go the next week. Uh, and play another high-octane offense that's going to do a little bit of the same, maybe not quite at that same tempo that Texas Tech likes to move at. A big challenge for Oklahoma State, but a, a game I'm certainly interested in watching. Um, our next question from Tyler J. Uh, he asks kind of what we think about KU. He says, does KU have a shot with Bean, or is he smoking mirrors? You know, gosh, KU's offense, first half, I was able to listen to most of that. Uh, I was able to listen to most of the first three quarters uh, of that game uh, on my way up to uh, to Seneca America uh, for a wedding. And, you know, KU's offense was moving the ball pretty well against TCU in the first half, but it was just a couple costly. I think they had uh, at least two turnovers there. One, Jalen Daniels going in for a touchdown. He fumbles near the goal line. Uh, I believe uh, Devin Neal or, or Kai Thomas also fumbled in kind of a, that, that advantageous position where KU was driving a little bit. So KU was able to have some success in the first half. But then the second half with Jason Bean, uh, he throws four touchdowns in the second half. Yeah. Now he does have a costly interception. And this is what I want to get to. With Bean, I feel like you're going to – and I feel like you saw a little bit last year. You saw some glimpses of some really pretty solid play. For what KU has, uh, Jason Bean, for when I say for KU, I'd say for most teams in the conference, it's a pretty darn good backup quarterback right. to have in your pocket. Yeah. Uh, I do think KU's offense probably takes a step back with Jason Bean. I don't think there's any question about that. 
But to say that this is an offense that's just going to go up in flames necessarily, I don't think is a is a fair picture at all. Uh, so I, I do think that what you might see more from Jason Bean rather than what you saw from Jalen Daniels, Jason Bean can be have the tendency to be a little bit looser with the football, uh, either not reading coverage well or even with, with him running the ball, uh, maybe not quite the runner uh, that Jalen Daniels is. So I look for uh, KU to maybe turn the ball over a little bit more with Jason Bean at the quarterback, and that's something that KU's done a very good job of here through the first six games keeping a hold of the ball and, and not beating themselves, I think you see a step back yeah, in that respect for, for KU. Yeah, Bean has a lot of speed. Is Very twitchy. Runner. But that, I don't know that he has quite that uh, creativity in the pocket that Jalen Daniels had and kind of that gene that uh, Daniels and guys like Todd Reesing have. And I think that Adrian Martinez has to a certain degree just evading pressure in the pocket and keeping your eyes downfield. Although I will say, I mean, Jason Bean, he, he made a lot of impressive yeah. passes against CCU. No question. Half. Whether that was uh, fool's gold and he'll come back down to earth and look more like the 2021 version of Jason Bean, something to keep an eye on. Um, but thank you, for Tyler J- thank you to Tyler J for submitting those questions. Our final question asker of the week comes from irrelevant K-State fan. Oh, you're not irrelevant. I don't you're think you're so. here on the short side option. At Loftcat KSU. Lofcat asks, bull projections, in your opinion, best and worst case scenario? Oh, gosh. Um, well, worst case scenario, I would say this is, it, this is kind of an interesting, interesting way of looking at it. I think the worst case scenario is going to the Liberty Bowl because that's a bowl game that K-State's been in quite a few times, and, it, uh, you know, Memphis, Tennessee, haven't had the chance to be there before. You haven't been to Memphis? I haven't been to Memphis, Tennessee. I have not been. I haven't been to the home of the king. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that would probably be what I would consider as, as the the worst case scenario. Best case scenario, I think that one's easy to, to get to. If K-State wins the rest of their games and wins the Big 12 title, they're probably going to be in the college football playoff. Yeah. Uh, which would be a Orange Bowl or... Uh, Maybe I think it's Orange Bowl and the Sugar Bowl this year are the two. Or no, Orange Bowl and uh, maybe it's the Cotton Bowl. I can't remember exactly where the, the two semifinals are here. But one of those would be the best case scenario. In terms of if it's not, uh, if K-State's, if K-State's uh, unfortunate enough to drop a game between them, uh, New Year's Six I think is still a possibility at 10-2. and two. So uh, I would look at that, uh, whether if it's Sugar Bowl or maybe uh, you know another one of those bowls in, in that pecking order, but uh, those would be the the two case scenarios that I would look at. And his final question and our final question of the week is looking at the teams, uh, look, looking at the rest of the schedule for K State. What's your final record prediction? Final record prediction. So, gosh, this is tough to look at. Um, really, when you look at where K-State comes here off the bye, because it's a tough, tough stretch here. You've got, and I'll just roll through it here real quick, at Texas Christian, at home against Oklahoma State in Texas, on the road for Baylor in West Virginia before wrapping up at home against KU. So you look at that, three games on the road, three games at home. I'd say, gosh, I'd say maybe 
I'd say for sure two of the three toughest games that we play at home. So that's a benefit, um, yeah. at least. I would look at K-State. Gun to my head right now, final record prediction, I'd say they go 9-3. Yeah, I would too, I think. I uh, I have K- K-State's right on the schedule with my preseason prediction. I had K-State 5-1 at this point. They're 5-1. Um, I'm dropping one to Baylor. Uh, I don't know if K-State's good enough to, to do that. I Let me rephrase. I think K-State's good enough to do that. I don't know if they're good enough to have that be the likely scenario. So I think 9-3 uh, and three is a tempered, um, reasonable option for the regular season. And probably good enough to get to uh, Arlington, but we'll see it and it'll probably depend on who those losses are to. So the college football playoff semifinal games, I, I want to just go back here. Fiesta Bowl and Peach Bowl. So uh, those would be the two best case scenarios. I think a Sugar Bowl would probably be, if K-State finishes 10-2, wins the Big 12 title, their likely spot. Worst case scenario, I would say... I still stick there with the Liberty Bowl. In terms of like a kind of a call it a middle ground. I would say out in Orlando, I think it's now the Cheez It Bowl yeah. out there. Would wouldn't be a bad spot, be a new spot for K State to go to. Uh take the kids out to Disney World. Big Twelve needs to bowl times. I've said that it's for a while. Embarrassing. That the Cheese It Bowl, and it's probably just a product of it being kind of a goofy sponsor, but the Cheese It Bowl is the equivalent of the old Holiday Bowl. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that is just. And, and the Cotton Bowl has gotten elevated now to where that used to be where we yeah. send our second place team to. Um, but know. it feels like a meme bowl. Yes. But and that's only because it has a. Then there's like the Serve Pro First Responders Bowl. Like you know, with yeah, the Holiday Bowl, why can't first. it be like the Cheese It like uh, Citrus Bowl or whatever it came over, like whatever the actual yeah bowl. came with it? Because Colgan Holiday Bowl now there's a bowl game with some pizzazz. That that game has kind of some prestige. The towel in my golf bag, a Colgan K State bowl game towel. There you go. How how about that? But but Pacific Life. Yeah, the, the, mix. Yeah. The, the Southwestern Belt Cotton Bowl. I mean, I think you lose some prestige when you have... Because, like, even when it was called, like, the Insight.com Bowl. Yeah. Like, that felt just cheaper. Or the sure. Buffalo Wildlands Bowl. Like, just the, I just think there's something to the branding of the bowl games uh, that you feel a little shortchanged when you're really pining for the cheese at bowl. Yeah, sure. When really, it's like, cheese at bowl... The third best bowl that you can go to. I mean, <laughs> yeah. for, for a Big 12 team. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think that's, there's something that just feel doesn't very, just doesn't feel very prestigious about it. Yeah. The, and you know, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think fans of, of any conference say, you know, I'm getting a little worn out of, of going to, um, you know, the same spots every year. Yeah. Whether if it's, you know, how many years did, you know, the old Steve Spurrier line, uh, because Tennessee was never quite able to get over the Florida hump, uh, kind of in the late '90s, early 2000s, except for the one year they did. Area uh, kind of in the, really more in the late '90s. The the Citrus Bowl would go to the third place or second place uh, team from the Southeastern Conference, 
And Steve Spurrier would famously say, can't spell citrus without UT. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but get, go into those same familiar spots. I know, gosh, K-State's gone to uh, gone to Memphis and, and the, uh, the Liberty Bowl back in, uh, gosh, let's see here. We've been twice in the last 10 years, right? Yeah, lost to Arkansas, uh, lost to Navy. Right. So that I would like to see maybe a little bit of a change there. I mean, last year, in the Texas Bowl, they've been in the Texas Bowl uh, now two times too. So it seems maybe a little bit more uh, frequent than, than maybe it truly is. But you'd like to see some new new locales, get, some, get a chance to go play in some different places. Let's change your name. You just want the name changed. I, just, I don't think I don't think K State has ever played. I can't say ever played. I don't think they've ever played a game. I know they haven't ever played a game in the state of Georgia. I don't believe they've played a couple games in Florida. I think way back in the day. But getting back um, down to Florida would be they played a game in Florida in 2011. Icon, it's a bad job by you. Yeah, they played Miami. But they, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm just talking bowl game. I don't right. think they've ever played a bowl game in the state of Florida. So getting a chance to kind of go to some new places, uh, you know, always a good thing. Yeah. I But I do miss, man, God, I would kill to have the Holiday Bowl still be a thing where you're able to take the family out to, to San Diego. See beautiful Qualcomm? Well, it's not, <laughs> you're not going to be seeing Qualcomm anymore. Huh? That thing is gone. Now they've got Snapdragon Stadium. Yeah. Uh, which caught some heat, or caught some heat literally. Early on in the season, because they built this thing to where it has like no overhangs, no shade, and it was like a hundred degrees, and all these Aztec fans are just burning up out there. So, uh, and it's only like a forty thousand seat stadium, so no, uh, no opportunity for a bowl. I don't think in that future. So. Yeah. Well, in any event, that. Uh, so you want new destinations? I want new names. I think I want both new names and new destinations. Yeah. I I just think that. There's something different between the Culligan Holiday Bowl and the Culligan Bowl. So, figure it out. Let's, um, let's go real quick here. Okay. Deli. We, uh, we've got Baylor going in here for a, a go-ahead score here as they enter the uh, West Virginia five inside the five-yard line here. With five minutes left in the third. This game's 24 24-24. Uh, an interesting game here, a game that West Virginia desperately needs. Both teams need it uh, here as, they, uh, as they're getting going in conference play. We talked a little bit about uh, Oklahoma State TCU. I gave my prediction there. Texas Iowa State, I think we both like Texas to win that game. KU Oklahoma, want to get your thoughts real quick on those three games. Boy, I, uh, I'm, I'm on the pokes, probably. I just... I just don't really. I'm not totally sold on TCU yet. I have a lot more faith in Gundy in these spots, uh, so I'll take the pokes in a tight one. Uh, I would say Texas closer than the experts think. I think. I think uh, everybody is down as down as people are about the Iowa State offense. They should be high on the defense because yeah, defense that, that defense is good. It defense travels, and I think that if Iowa State can put up somewhere in the range of 20 points, which really isn't asking a lot against Texas, uh, then they'll be right in that game. But I I do think Texas ultimately prevails. Uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, I can't bet on I can't pick Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, 
Now, I think Dylan Gabriel probably makes a difference, and I wouldn't be shocked to see the defense play a little bit better when they have some semblance of an offense running out there. But, no, I'm picking KU and Lawrence. Or I'm in, in Norman, rather. Um, so, yeah, my as far as games go, I'm, I'm on, uh, I think... Uh, KU and Texas and Oklahoma State. So you like KU to win on the field at Norman? Yeah. No, I think I think. Wow. I don't okay. know anybody picking differently is just. I don't know how you could. I mean, KU's just. Well, not, I'm doing it. I'm picking Oklahoma. Well, and you might be right, but I, based on what's transpired on the field so far this season, I don't know how anybody uh, is picking Oklahoma to win a conference game this weekend. Maybe a little bit of blind faith. I would, I would pick... I, there's these chance I'd pick West Virginia to win in Norman this weekend. I mean, I just I just have no faith at this point in Oklahoma's team. Um, and they might get things right this weekend, but I can't... I'm not betting on that. I'm not picking that. It, you're not wrong in that, uh, in that uh, little, little summary there because Oklahoma has, has given up, what is it, 41... 55 and, and 49 in their last three Big 12 games, all uh, all defeats for the Sooners. So it's going to be a fun week to watch uh, some football here with K-State on, on the bye week. Most definitely. Uh, a great slate of games in the Big 12, a great slate of games uh, throughout the country. So uh, in fun every, to watch. And every week in the Big 12 is great now. Yeah. I mean, last week you look up and down the schedule and it's like, show me – a bad game. Sure. I mean, every game has intrigue. I mean, objectively speaking, this game on Thursday night here is probably the uh, the most boring game of of the four. And we've got a 24-24 game going into uh, the, the final 20 minutes. Yeah, with, with two teams. I mean, everybody poo-poos on West Virginia, but this West Virginia team was a hair away from beating Pitt. They beat, well, they won on the road in Blacksburg. I mean, nobody's a pushover in this league, and that makes for... Just a complete slate of games every week. And so I'm really excited to watch Big 12 play this week, and I'll be really excited to watch Big 12 play next week and the week after that, all the way to the end of the season. Well, it should be a great week of college football. Uh, keep your eyes tuned to uh, to our Twitter feed, at TSSO underscore podcast. No K-State game this week, but we have a, a little something up our sleeves here for uh, for some prediction threads uh, here going on this week. So it should be fun uh, to follow along with all the action going on across not only the Big 12, but uh, the rest of college football. Uh, so, d anything else you want to say here before we wrap it up? Nope. It's a good week for a bye, and I'm uh, excited to get after it next week. Absolutely. Well, we'll be back next week uh, to preview K-State's uh, road matchup against uh, the TCU Horned Frogs. Should be uh, a game that could be be having a team uh, with TCU in the top 10 uh, if, if they're able to beat Oklahoma State. And uh, should be a uh, another one in uh, the first year for, for K-State with a, with a gauntlet schedule here uh, as we get into late November or late October and early November. So that'll do it here for us this week on the Short Side Option Podcast. Thanks for listening and go Cats!